Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Angel Deer is a medicine man and offers his work on sacred land through shamanic healing, energy healing, sound healing, breath work, plant medicine, and workshops and events. The Sanctuary is a community for all those who seek healing transformation, ancient wisdom, and a place to come together to create a new way of living and relating. This is the Sanctuary Podcast, and this is Angel Deer. Hello, brother. Hello. So nice to see your face. Same here. It's a privilege to have you with us tonight. For those who don't know, yes, for those who don't know, I know Angel for about five years at this point. Um, I was initiated in shamanic wisdom with him, also in shamanic Reiki. And he is a caretaker of an amazing land called the Sanctuary in New York. If you have a chance, please go visit his land. It's a piece of paradise on this earth. Thank you, Angel. Thank you. Good to be with you, sister. Yes, and this live is about the Deaf Talk, which is a project that I'm starting as a Deaf doula. Because I studied in Hawaii with an elder, and I realized that Deaf unites us all, but we don't really talk about it. So I was like, we need to talk about Deaf. And this specific talk that we have this week on Thursday, 7 p.m., will be about cycles. And when I was meditating about who was the perfect person to join me and bring the wisdom to the community, you are the first one on my head and my heart. So thank you, Angel. Especially because you practice permaculture on your land. So I guess if you have anything to say about yourself or about the sanctuary to the people who are joining us tonight, I'll also be recording this conversation to be on a podcast soon so more people have access to this knowledge that we'll be sharing with us tonight. So once again, thank you. Thank you. Well, I need to be careful what I said and if it's recorded. (laughs) (laughs) You're on the web now. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about it as I was, you know, as you invited me and I was preparing it. And, you know, walking this path, uh, walking with these ancient ways, what we call shamanism, you know, it's such an overused world world now, you know, like shamanic, shamanism. So I don't really like it personally, uh, but, you know, for lack of a better word, that's what we're going to use, I guess. but it's all very much about being in alignment with uh, cycles of nature, with our own cycles, right? Because we, we're part of it. And, you know, if you were, if you're born as a native person, you know, in many native languages, there's not even a, a word for nature, right? It, it's not something you can separate from your own experience, right? Because you're living it and you can't separate the eye from it. That's how deep it is embedded in the culture. Um, and therefore, I don't think um, it's ever questioned if we are in alignment with the cycle of nature, right? That includes life and death, obviously, but that includes the, the seasons and the day and the night and all the variation inside of us, you know, even our libidos, you know, and, you know, in any things that is moving us, our desires, our passions, you know, they're very cyclic, right? Yes. We have moments where we might feel really good and very creative. And there's moments where we might feel very in words and not wanting to birth anything, right? Being more in an inward uh, state, which is the case for me at the moment in the winter, you know, it's very much a state where I slow down a lot. And if we can align ourselves, I think, with those greater cosmic cycles, the cycle of nature, the uh, cycle of the seasons, 
the cycle of the day and night. I think a lot of the things that we are challenged with uh, take care of themselves, right? Because yes. nature has embedded naturally period of rest, time for decay and death, time for rebirth. You know, it's all in the cycles. And I think we are the only species that question the value of part of the cycle, right? Yes. I know even people that don't like winter or they don't like rain or they don't like when the day is like this or like that, right? We were very reactive to somehow something that doesn't match our inner experience, right? And in a culture that always want to grow, always want to burst something, always want to go fast. I feel that anything that's downwards, like dying is one of them right it's like we're going down right and we're going yeah. to go down into the ground decaying slowing down not producing anything being instead of doing feeling our bodies right instead of just talking all of the things you know we fight them i personally believe that's why most people have a very hard time with winter season in general you know it's not just the low light and that it does on our hormones. I think we're not comfortable with the slowing down. We're just not comfortable with sitting. We're not comfortable with just not doing anything, you know? And for me, that's, you know, hyperactive and always doing things. For me, it's a challenging time, you know? Yeah. And I need to really see what's there. And why do I refuse that, right? What is it that is so triggering to me that I don't want to be like everybody else on my land, right? Like the deers and the birds and the trees and, you know, all the other life forms. Um, and yeah, it can be pretty daunting, I guess, to, to face it, right? Well, I'm dying. <laughs> you yeah. are dying, right? We're all dying a little bit every day. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I'm turning 50 this year at the end of the year. <laughs> and yeah, it's been questions, right? It's like this midpoint. I mean, it's, you know, it's in my head, right? Because who knows, maybe I only have five years more to live or maybe I have 50 more or more than 50, right? Um, but yeah, because of our culture, I think, and the things we are, you know, living in all the time ways, it can bring a lot of challenge to be confronted with this cycles and to allow them right i think when it comes i know you do a lot of tantric work and you know you work with sexuality i think when you come with sexuality it's the same thing right there is a lot of expectation in our world there's expectation for women there's expectation for men right about how we should express our sexuality or how sexual we should be or not be there's a lot of shame, you know, that is entangled into that. It's very connected somehow to our sense of worth. You know, when you grow up as a young man, very often it's like, oh, how many girlfriends did you have, right? Uh, how young were you when you get your first girlfriend, right? There's a lot of uh, sense of identity and power that's connected to that, right? Uh, but for many people, you know, sexuality is very more complex it's not a man and a woman it's more diverse it's it might not be even another partner right it could be just with the self and and i think once again when you look at nature it's cyclic right there is species that reproduce certain time of the year and then the rest of the year they don't right there are species that are way more complex sexuality than what we think uh, mm -hmm. two genders are about. Uh, there is even species that change sex, you know, over time. <laughs> they go from one gender to another one as they grow up. So for me, I think, you know, permaculture, which is this idea to really observe the cycle of nature, the cycle of water, the cycle of the sun, the cycle of air, uh, all those cycles, right? And see how the land is in harmony with them and work with the cycles 
instead of against them, right? Yes, there's so much wisdom in that. So I think that's pretty much what this work is all about. And even with life and death, you know, it's like, well, I can fight it, right? We can look for the cure for living longer. I think we are living longer than we have ever lived, right? In our, as human beings, but do we live better? I think we don't die from aging now anymore. We die from disease. Mm-hmm. I was reading an article of that, about that, right? I remember my great grandparents, you know, was little, but I got a chance to know three of them. They just died in the bed, right? Yes. At home from old age. And now we're dying from disease, right? Because we have prolonged life a lot. People are not allowed to really die, right? I think there's a lot of medicalization around death. Absolutely. And people die in, in hospital bed, far from their families and in environments that are not very loving, you know, uh, because their loved ones cannot always be around. And, you know, because we are refusing this cycle, right? We're refusing that. Why one day I'm going to be an old man, right? Someone might have to feed me. I might have to wear diapers again, like when I was little, right? Uh, Can I accept that, right? I spot of being alive, right? Or will I be in a constant fight about what I should be because I'm this age, right? Yes. And how my health should be, right? Mm -hmm. It's all... You know, it's all because we are not accepting that we are in those cycles and we want to play God, right? A little bit. We want to, we think we're better than that. <laughs> we have more power yeah. over it. Yeah, you mentioned a few things that really speak to me, especially, for example, the disease and how the disease starts. Uh, I study Reiki with you, and then we see the impact that emotions have on our bodies. And personally, I feel that a lot of those emotions are this resistance to change. For example, relationships. Uh, There's a beautiful meetings that we have with people that we fall in love and then we grow with them. But eventually everything that we love, we lose one day. Mm. And I feel that some relationships end and they have this expiration date because you had something to work on with that person. But then because of the resistance, this creates a lot of those emotions that that psychosomatic and it can bring a disease because ultimately we're not addressing the source of that, the root of that, which is Mm -hmm. attachment, resistance to change. When it could be, what is this relationship? What did it bring to me, right? Like what was the wisdom here? and acceptance and surrendering to the natural cycle of understanding this started one day, it was beautiful, and now it's coming to an end. Mm. So, yeah. And I think it's not always, you know, love, right? Like, relationship might come to an end, but love might not. Mm. You know, I, I personally think that when we truly love someone, there should be a level of non-attachment about mm-hmm. them being in our lives or not, right? I mean, obviously, it's better, right? If we love them, we want to get them close and we want to be with them, right? But I think the ultimate proof of love has to be unconditional. Mm-hmm. And if that person one day wants to live something different, wants to live another life, want to experience something different, I think it should be our greater love this this more god type of love that bless them on their path and let them go right allow them to keep evolving right to keep going through their cycle not blocking them because of our personal agendas right and listen we're going to be heartbroken by it right i'm not saying it's easy right to do that to live from that place um but yeah, if we see it as a property or if we see that connected to uh, sexual, uh, physical intimacy, then we might get very confused about what love is about. 
In fact, the people we love the most in our lives, we never had sex with them, right? <laughs> yeah. Usually, right? It's it's our parents, it's our children, it's it's our closest friend. You know, it's really when you think of that, right? I adore my parents, right? Obviously, there was never any sexual intimacy then, but the love is so big, right? Yes. So I need to be careful when I let go of someone, right? When we're talking about relationship, to think that because that one component is gone, that the love is gone. In fact, that's not really true when you think of it, right? The love can be even bigger, I believe. It can be different. It can transform. It can evolve, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because love also has its own cycle, right? You know, as life and death, as disease and wellness. Um, but we have a hard time with that because, you know, I think mainly because we learn love through romantic comedies and things like that, which is not really love, right? Yeah, not <laughs> it's really a fluctuation love. of the heart for a temporary moment, but it's not what I would call greater love, right? Yeah, exactly. That we, we learn that the need versus that. I am love. Yeah. And loving the experience as sacred. And same if you go back to death, death is sacred, birth is sacred. It's part of the human experience. So it of course comes with grief when we go through those little deaths. We have this big cycle, right? Like when we are born and we ultimately die. But throughout this big cycle, we have many, like you said, night and day, seasons, relationships, going to a school, graduating. It's just <laughs> a will. And mm -hmm. you mentioned something about uh, how we live longer now. And I guess my question to you is, what do you think about intentions when we are beginning a new cycle? And also... If you have any practice or any awareness that you bring with that intention to have longevity in this cycle. Because nowadays we know, for example, that when it comes to our human body, epigenetics already proved that with, with intention and actions, we can live longer and better with quality of mm -hmm. life. And I believe that if we have intention in longevity in our relationships or any cycles, anything that we are doing, we can create this beauty within and, and outside. Yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, one of the biggest uh, cause of death in our modern world is stress, right? Anxiety, stress, because we know now with science, it creates oxidations inside the body, right? And it does something to our chromosomes. It shortens them a little bit every time we're stressed, right? And over time, in that shortening of chromosomes, you know, will bring death to come, right? It does shorten our life expectancy. So personally, I'm not interested to know if I can live longer. You know, I'm interested about my quality of life, right? My time here. Because, you know, there's many things I don't control. I could get sick or I could get hit by a car or, you know, things can happen. <laughs> Uh, but I'm interested about the quality of my living. And when I think quality of my living, you know, it's directly connecting to the quality of my relating with others. You know, I think a lot of the things that is missing in the discussions around longevity is the discussion around community, mm. around what's around me, right? What's the point to live 120 years? If it's to live, you know, in a home where you're going to be alone. Or if it's to live on a planet that's unlivable. Or, you know, it's to live in conditions that for you to achieve that length, it means many others need to suffer because of the technology that is maybe needed for you to live that long or the resources extracted for you to live that long. So I think we need to be careful what we're already calling in our lives our intentions in general, right? Mm -hmm. What are they about? Are they coming from a, a place of selfishness, of fear, of greed? 
you know, I think most people have good intention. You know, it's not I'm saying most people are greedy or selfish, but sometimes we have intentions that we don't always realize that consequence on others. You know, what does it mean for the rest of the world? Me living that life or having that intention, right? So living well is more important than living long, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and living well together, that we all live well, I think is way more important than for some individual to live longer, right? Yeah. And I think today's, you know, in the world, there is, yeah, maybe the average life expectancy has increased, but there is massive disproportion, right? There's a lot of children and kids or people that, well, not going to go see adulthood, right? Or are going to die pretty young because of society, right? Of stress and anxiety and violence and inequality, right? So that's what I'm more interested when I think about my intention, you know, is it's also turning them towards the collective because if we accept to be a feeling being, <laughs> which we should, because that's what we're designed for, right? Mm. Your suffering, sister, suffering of my brother in the forest in the Amazon, it is mine. It's not just their problem. It's not. It's not about me saving them and helping them. No, it's 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 family, right? We we are part of this, right? And as long as they suffer, I suffer. That's how I see it, right? However privileged and sheltered I'm going to do my life, that's going to catch up with me one day. Because they are relatives, right? They are brothers, they are sisters. I truly believe that, right? With the same blood, we are so related, right? So when we look at our own intentions, every time we reverse, every time we enter something, I think it's important to, yeah, to, to see what we call in our life, what we want, what we desire, but how is that connected to the collective? How is that going to help the collective reverse, right? Or support it, support other people's intentions, right? In that process. Because then I think we find more joy and meaning in life, mm -hmm. right? Because it's all about meaning at the end of the day. You know, pe people, when time they join my school and we do classes and they often join this path because they want answers to their question. <laughs> the big question about life and purpose. And I always feel bad because I'm like, oh my God, I'm going, in fact, you're never going to get answers. You're going to get more questions. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about it this afternoon. I have more questions in my head than I ever had, you know, in my life, you know, because I'm, I'm opening to so many things, right? To the mystery and the mystery is, is not answered. But what it is about, it's about meaning, you know, and meaning is not answers. It's not. In fact, it's usually be about better questions, if you ask me. Yeah. That's really what this, this, those intentions are about, right? Better questions. So there's more meaning. I and less answers, less answers. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like that, right? <laughs> I love that. And I feel that brings me to surrender because mm -hmm. I feel like life birth, life, death, uh, it's a big school of surrender. <laughs> uh, there's no other way because like you said, well, how many years am I going to live? Another 50 or five hours? Hi, my name is Gabby. I'll die. And I don't know when your name is Angel. You die. And I don't know when. And I feel that this surrender also brings when we are really aware of it, it brings this presence, right? Like the presence with my mm. own self and understanding that we are connected uh, as a spider web. So how can we bring more balance to this life so that we can all live a better life? Our biggest teaching that I gained from our shamanic <laughs> Reiki from our Reiki initiation a few years ago was the teaching of belonging. Mm. 
it's so powerful because you mentioned community and I had a time in my life that I didn't feel that I had belonging or community and I didn't even feel like I belonged with myself, mm-hmm. with my body. Now I look back and I'm so grateful for this container that you created and some other people create. And that's the goal of the Dev Talk is to create a community where we have a safe space to go deep into this questions because like you said there are only more questions and this is just surrendering to this question surrendering that not always we have answers not always there's a why nobody that died came back to tell us what's gonna happen after that happens and i what i believe brother is that these little deaths that we go through the cycles it's a big school of surrender to the big death, <laughs> the ultimate, I call it the ultimate orgasm, like the climax of life. Mm-hmm. So how do you practice surrender in your life? Do you have any thing that has helped you? Any specific story that you want to share with us that you had to no, no other way but surrender? And how did your heart break open? through that Mm. that's uh yeah it's a tender question right because um i guess you know one of the things that comes to mind for me is um living with pain living with chronic physical pain which is my case right Mm -hmm. um i've tried to fix it for many years right at at uh, war with it right to try to to be better in my own body, right? And it is better than it was, right? But there is a, the pain is always there, right? There's not a moment in my day when it's not there, right? So it's always there, right? And that taught me, you know, at some point one day, I remember clearly like, I had to really ask myself, Okay, if this doesn't go away, what is going to be my life? How do I live my day? How do I find joy? How do I find gratitude again? You know, how do I find even meaning to be in a body that is in such pain sometimes? Right? And I had to accept it. That maybe will never be fixed, right? That maybe... Um, I will never be back to whatever back means. You know, we want to be back always. Uh, we felt one day or, <laughs> but my body, you know, is, uh, is different today than it was yesterday and 10 years ago. And so it's never going to feel the same, right? As it was feeling, right? Um, so I just had to surrender into it, to accept, right? And in fact, uh, when we get to that place, you know, it gives us more space. You know, it's tender. There's, a, there's grief there. There's crying. There is uh, tears. There is rage. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. There is uh, this inner battle that's unresolved. And you're on your own inner one that you're fighting. Um. And when I started to surrender more to it and accept more to it, you know, it connected me to to the pain of the world, to the pain bodies, you know, the other pain bodies, people that live with pain way longer than I do and we make way more pain than I do, right? Because here I had this opportunity to have an experience of what it feels like to live that way. Something you cannot just take away. You take just one pill and you're good with it, right? And it's gone. Or it's just a bad day because you carried some wood and then you're in pain for a day. No, 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 that that kind of pain, the one you go to bed with, Mm. the one you wake up with, Mm -hmm. the one that wakes you up at the middle of the night. So pain become your, your companion on the road in that cycle that I am in, right? I don't know for how long. It could be until my last breath. It could be for one more year. I don't know, right? But for now, in this cycle, I have to live with that, right? 
And my, my work is to find a good relationship like with anything, right? It could be shame, it could be grief, it could be, you know, depression, anxiety, anything we're experiencing really. What we want to find is a place of good relationship with it. It doesn't mean comfort. People think, oh, good relationship. It means uh, we're going to go party together, right? <laughs> no, sometimes we just sit together and we just hold hands and we just cry together, right? Yes. So I think, you know, deepening that relationship to the body. And like you mentioned, you know, I don't think we can really belong in this world if we don't believe, belong fully in our bodies. We're going to look for a place of belonging, you know, forever and people because we just can't belong in this vehicle, right? In this physical uh, body. You're listening to The Sanctuary Podcast with Angel Deer. While you're listening, browse the website at www.thesanctuaryheal.com. And very often, you know, most people that don't belong in the world and keep searching for it, there is deep pain in the body, right? And being with ourselves alone, for a very long time. But when I mean alone, I mean alone, right? Mm-hmm. I don't mean in a city where you go to the cafe and then you do this and you do that and then you go back to your apartment alone. No, I mean alone, alone. Like really a state of deep aloneness, right? To find those missing parts, to find those pain points and to see if we can live with it, right? And yes, there is battles, you know, there are so many moments, you know, with my pain where I was on the ground, right, in a baby position, crying, screaming for hours sometimes, you know, days. And nobody can help, right? Nobody can really help me, right? Nobody can feel what you're feeling. Yeah, nobody can feel what I feel. It's nobody's job, right, to to do that. And I can go and complain and tell the world about it, right? And even I'm careful when I share about it because I don't share for people to feel sorry for me, right? Mm-hmm. Or feel bad or say, oh, Angel, I'm so sorry you're going through that, you know? I'm not sharing for that point of view, right? I have my, that's the thing I need to live with, right? And we all have something that we have to live with, right? And uh, can I find a good relationship there? Can I still still find enough energy to be in connection to the world, to other people? You know, when this take me in so deeply, right? How much do I find energy to come out? Um, yeah, so the surrendering is to be with those unanswered question. And to trust that somehow there is meaning. But also I feel, you know, in surrender, very often people think we think of surrender as a state of doing nothing. I think it's a very active state. It's not passive. Surrender, you're very present. You're doing really deep work, right? I was present, I was moving, and I was internal and all of that. I had to surrender to the pain, but not just like, (laughs) okay, whatever, do whatever you want to my body. No, no, no. I'm with you here. You know, it's like in meditation. I don't sleep, right? I'm meditating. I'm I'm keeping my consciousness, my awareness with my center, with my heart, with my light. But I'm active, right? I'm not passive, right? So I think we talk a lot about surrender in the world, just surrender to it and let it be, you know, but we have to be careful that it's not passivity, detachment. There is nothing about detachment in surrender. Not in that sense, right? Because if not, I renounce the world, right? I do nothing. Well, whatever, you know, just surrender to it. This is what's happening in the world. This is what's it. And then we become very passive, right? <clears throat> and we can look at atrocities going on and say, you know, oh, things will pass. Things will change, <laughs> right? Sometimes you hear that. I think we have a role to play, right? But we need to be able to have the center connection first. So when we act, we're doing it from the right place, right? From a place of wisdom and connection. Yes, and uh, you mentioned the grief uh, that comes with this experience, for example. 
And something that I say is that grief comes in waves. Mm. I, I personally feel that some grief will never leave. Uh, it's, hello, my old friend. <laughs> uh, there's a day that I'll wake up and I'll feel more. Maybe I'll listen to a music that's going to rem uh, remind me of a moment. And then, boom, I'm hit with that wave. And uh, birth, for example, uh, childbirth, it's like learning to breathe through that contraction, learning to breathe through that wave, uh, uh, accepting that that's a wave that's coming. And mm. I feel that society now has a hard time with grief, like understanding the concept of grief and holding space for grief. Uh, expressing grief you recently made a post on your page that i thought it was fantastic because it was talking about creating space for the masculine to be vulnerable there's that phrase right boys don't cry mm. and that's so toxic in this culture because mm. can we just allow like you said brothers and sisters human family can we allow mm. grief to be expressed, like when a, when a baby is crying, there's this rush to put a pacifier there, to give a snack, to say, no, look at the sky, it's blue. Distract, distraction from the grief. Mm. That's not allowing that. <laughs> I feel that's part of the surrendering, right? Allowing, acknowledging that, yes, there's a lot of pain here and I don't know if it's ever gonna be done. Yeah. And to be okay to walk with it and be with it. And it doesn't mean that um, we can still not live a good life. I carry a lot of grief and it's something, I don't know if it's in my design or since I'm little, you know, but it's always been something for me that was very big. I always found the world a little bit overwhelming and, uh, and a lot of things makes me sad, right? <laughs> um, most people that know me, even some people that know me well, they don't know that. That I always have this deep sadness that I carry around, right? Um, it doesn't prevent me from doing my work, from doing my offerings, from teaching, from writing, uh, from being here, right? <laughs> yes, I feel that you inspire me every time I read your book. <laughs> I feel... Oh, I thank you your heart on those and i feel that you yeah but what i want to show is that we can live with struggles we yeah. can live with being deeply human for me it's grief and it's you know being in a world that's sometimes very overwhelming to me because of the way i see the world and the way i relate to it but still making the commitment to show up for this life to be engaged with the world to be in service of the world and others you know People could not believe that I went through a depression last year, right? Very dark depression, right? But I still was able, you know, to be in service of, I don't know, three or 4,000 people, right? Because I believe that we can still show up. And in fact, that when we are in those states of turmoil, those places that are uh, unresolved in our life or in our heart, it doesn't diminish our power, quite the opposite. In fact, I was more connected to my clients, to the people I work with, because of the immense struggle I was going mentally and physically, right? It gave me a, a different type of skill to access that. And I think that's what's missing in our world, right? Once you have depression, or you're heartbroken, or you have anxiety. Somehow you're useless to the world, right? Mm -hmm. Somehow you need to be medicated, or you can be part of this or that, right? Because you're joy breaker, right? But how do we include the broken parts of ourselves? Is how do we include people that are broken into the world? It's the same, right? Not that I think anybody's broken, but <coughs> When someone is different, I think people bring a wisdom that only them have. <clears throat> and I think someone that's going through deep grief, 
someone that's been confronted with death, someone that's confronted with their own illnesses, I think their heart is wide open. And we want to be around people that have their heart wide open, right? We want to know the, the wisdom that is there. They're not lost. They're not lost. In fact, they're closer to God than anybody else in that moment, right? We know that when we're in the depths of grief, there's also something very tender. That's when we're very raw, right? But we're very authentic. We're so present, right? Because the body is just taking us in. And I think that can be a gift too, right? So when I did my offering, as I was in that state, my offering were richer. My words were more authentic. And I had to go through the layers of shame of what people might think, right? All the things I was telling myself, right? Oh, what a teacher should be. If you are a healer or a medicine person, you should always be that way, right? So I had to go through all the stories that were going through my mind, you know? And those stories, they were creating suffering, right? Because I was forcing myself out of that state. I had to heal, I had to be better, I had to show up with a smile. This is very violent. Yes. towards myself it's very violent when we do that because guess what that's what the world does to us right and when i decided to surrender <clears throat> and say you know what yeah i'm just going to show up with this and see what happened nobody run away nobody laugh mm. people were like feeling more connected and say wow i don't know what's going on at the moment but your prayer is deeper right I didn't always share what was going on, right? That I was maybe spending the whole week in my sofa because I could hardly move because I was so depressed, right? Because I don't want, it's not about being a victim or being looked at, oh, there's something special because so many people goes with depression anyway and with illnesses, right? But it was to show that it is possible to be this and still be in connection, still belong to the world, still have gift to offer, still have light to shine, right? That pain carries so much light, right? That grief carries so much of it, right? We know that when we're, you know, we're on people grieving or when we just lost someone in the family, the whole family get, get together, right? And there's deeper heart connection in those families, in those moments around the dead one than there has ever been in 40 years people say things that they have on their heart that they've never told so we know it works that way right we've experienced it we we feel it right but yet when it comes to us when he knocked at our door when grief is there or pain is there or depression is there or addiction anxiety whatever that is right we hide because we're told to hide. We're told there's something wrong. We're told there is a, di- a disease name for it, right? There's a name, a pathology, pathos, right? Something wrong, something sick. In the work <coughs> I do, in shamanic work and the work with my elders, they never see it that way. I never heard that I was sick. I never heard that I could not run that prayer or that ceremony or serve that medicine. Quite the opposite. Because I know my heart is open to the great spirit. That I'm being humbled. And in fact, the place of humbleness is the place of power, is the place of medicine. But I need to remind myself that when I forget, right? And I need to remind you and my brothers and my sisters when they are in that place, right? Yes. Right? Because we forget and the world is going to make us forget about it, right? Yes, I love everything that you are sharing. So, ooh, as you were speaking, some words are coming to me. Like, first of all, finding inspiration, becoming more human, right? Becoming more inspired. Uh, this is the human experience. And also vulnerability, because you mentioned shame. But when you 
suppress what's going on, when you're vulnerable, uh, then you find that you are supported, even though nobody can feel your pain. You are supported. You 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 are here now, uh, in this beautiful experience that is life that uh, gives us all these different nuances, this different wavelengths of going through it and. Uh, yes, I feel like, for example, sometimes uh, if you go through a breakup, someone may say, I'm so sorry that that happened. Uh, any, anything really, but especially breakup is coming up to me now because like, I'm so sorry that that happened. And sometimes you're like, I'm happy that it happened that way. Mm-hmm. And even at the moment of the death, I'm so sad. I have all this grief, but I'm so happy this life happened. And I got to experience these moments with this dear loved one that was in my life. Mm. So I feel like finding those, the duality, right? I'm feeling so much grief. I'm also feeling shame, but I'm vulnerable. I'm inspired. Just really embracing (laughs) these waves of experience and and I think, you know, many people don't, don't know what to say or what to do, right? When someone grieving, when someone is sad, when someone is in depression. You know, a lot of people, I think it's our default mode. We're trying to, to help because we think people need help or, or we offer helps that is not requested, right? Sometimes I didn't need any help. And when people offer you stuff or want to do things and you don't really, didn't really request it, it's not really for you, right? If you didn't ask for it. I mean, I could see it comes from a good place, right? Place of kindness. But what we really want is just someone to sit there, right? And Mm -hmm. make us feel loved. Thank you. But but there's nothing wrong, right? That is, that I don't expect someone to make me feel better. My pain is my pain, right? My depression is my depression. My grief is my grief, right? You can't really take it out of me. And yeah, I love chocolates and, you know, it might make me feel better for an hour if you offer me nice chocolate, right? And that's always super kind and I love chocolate, right? But what I really need is your knowing that you're there. Presence. The just present, right? For me, I had very, very few people, like literally, you know, (laughs) Max that were able to show up in the right way. And the reason they could is because they went through the same thing and they knew what they needed at the time. And so they didn't try to give me something that they didn't need themselves at that time, right? There are people that went through tremendous pain and amount of grief. And they were able to just be like, you know, once a week or every three days, hey, just thinking of you, sending some love, you know? but not trying to fix, not trying to do anything for me, right? And just knowing that I this compassionate presence and someone that care, even remotely. So the person that cared the most was not even someone that was close to me, right? Mm-hmm. Always physically, right? But just knowing, right, that this person was okay with me in that state for as long as it needed. That's the other thing, right? Sometimes people feel okay with how you are, but then after a while, they're like, okay, you know, this one is always sad, or this one is always like that, right? People get annoyed, right? Because they want to put a timing to your pain, to your grief. Why, it's a year, right? You should be okay by now, right? Or it's been six months, right? Get over it. Mm. Right? And there's no timing to it. There's none, but my own timing, because we're all very different, right? And I think people that can honor your sacred timing, your sacred cycle, knowing that wherever you are in that moment is where where you can be and honoring you for being awake, for being with this in this moment, gives you permission to relax. To say, yes, this is not wrong. Yes, there is nothing sick about it. It's just a state I am in. And thank you, my brother, my sister, my friend, 
for allowing me to be in this, to be held, to still include me, to make me feel that I still belong, right? And traditionally, if we were to live traditionally in a village, in the forest or somewhere, that's how we would be included, right? <clears throat> we would not be put somewhere or sent somewhere or, you know, we would be included in all the activities, right? Yeah. Because, because we're just someone navigating something human and that's okay. And, uh, right? Yes, I but feel that's like uh, difficult because we put pathology name on every state of human consciousness, emotional states. And most of the emotional states, if they are not somehow happy and joyful, are qualified as broken or something wrong with them, right? If there is no productivity anymore, like you are depressed and you're like that, same, you know, there is a name for it, depression or this and that, right? And those states are real. I'm not saying depression doesn't exist. But what I say is that it can still be, that person can still be included. In fact, should be included even more because it's something that isolates you so much from the rest of the world that the things you need is belonging, is connection, right? A lot of people, you know, commit suicide because of depression, but it's not just because of depression, it's because they are alone. Right, because they're alone with their meds, right? But there is not really a community that knows how to do with it, you know? It's not that people don't want to be with people with depression, but very often people don't even know what to do because we don't know in our culture what to do with people like that, right? Yes, just like you said, being the loving awareness, just yeah. present there. Uh, yeah. And one element that I brought to my deaf talks when people uh, experience the talks is a talking stick and in those talks we have moments of vulner vulnerability that we share a trauma or share a story share some grief and everyone in the circle just listens and then just says thank you because when you are with someone who is on a deathbed all that they need sometimes and most of the time is just a loving awareness. It's just companionship. It's not being alone there at the moment of death. It's knowing that they matter. And not it's getting out of the state of doing or fixing. Uh, going back to I love you and I'm here and I see you. I truly see your joy. Mm -hmm. There is no shame in having cancer, in having chronic pain. It's something that is there. And I accept what it is, and I love you, and I'm here for you. Something that I learned a lot with the indigenous, with the elders, especially from Acre, the ones that I have been connecting more, mostly recently, in the ceremonies that we go through, there's a lot of healing and purging, and whoa, it's, sometimes it's dense, but there is always music. They call Cantoria, the Hunikuin tribe, Specifically, uh, they say that those songs are calling those enchanted beings and it's to harmonize those moments of density. Uh, but that doesn't mean those moments won't be there, but they still bring the dancing and the singing. And it's like mm -hmm. we are dancing with our shadows. And I feel even though in the, in the jungle there, they don't have a lot of material things as we do here. I can, I can feel it in my whole being when I'm with them, that they have so much joy, so humble. They also go through their struggles, but every time I'm hearing their stories, they have uh, stories of hope. And like you said, how can I be here traveling to the other side of the world, traveling for days in order to support my community there so that Mm -hmm. I'm going through this struggle that all of us can live a better life. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, brother. Uh, I want to be mindful of your time. This thank you. Being amazing. I'd like to invite you if you have any last thoughts or feelings that are coming to you now. Uh, one last thought that is coming through me is... Uh, especially about the feminine now. We spoke about creating space for the masculine. But 
Mother Nature is cyclical, so we are. And it's that in energy. And women, we experience our moon cycles every month for many, many years. This moon cycle brings birth, death, rebirth. Uh, we have the PMS that nowadays it became a pathology, but it's nothing but just asking us to slow down. Mm -hmm. Slow down. Uh, in society now, it's uh, nine to five. I have to go to work, and it's not creating space for women to feel the cycle and to be in their feminine energy. And I believe that when we allow the feminine and the masculine to really feel this experience and have space, we can improve as a society, as a collective. Uh, so this is coming through me now, and I thought that was important to share. Yeah. And, you know, I think I was uh, reading online a few days ago that um, I believe it is uh, Sweden, but I don't know, not 100% sure. But one of the country in Europe just allowed the first uh, time off for women for their menstruation, for their monthly cycle. I think three or five days a month if they wish to take time off because they need to slow down or they have, you know, PMS or, you know, symptoms that they are allowed to. And it's been inscribed into laws. And I think that the first law in the Western world, for sure, that is allowing that and recognizing it, right? And I was like, oh, that gives me hope, right? Mm. That gives me hope that there is a recognition that, that. And I think beyond the law and, you know, because it's still part of the capitalist system or everybody needs to work. But I think it's a, it's a proof that there is uh, more listening to each other's right now. More capacity, at least in some place in the world, to understand that we're all different. We all have specific needs sometimes, right? Based on what's going on. And it's not a pathology. There's nothing wrong with us. And we need to make space for that in the corporate world, in the social world, in all of the world's right systems we're living in. And that gives me great hope, right? That we do the same when people are uh, overwhelmed, when people have depression, when people have addiction. Right, that we stop treating it just like an issue, but in fact, an opportunity to understand the pain, an opportunity to understand each other's, right? An opportunity to belong better with each other's and therefore together. So I think, you know, obviously there is a tremendous amount of work to be done uh, to, to get there. But I think there is a more and more discussion, you know, especially when it comes to depression or when it comes to neurodiversity and ADHD and, you know, many, many aspects of things that were seen, you know, as issues and now are seen as uh, maybe opportunities, skills, skill set, things that, uh, in fact, is people's special power, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if we can change the discourse about all those things, and see them as superpowers instead yeah. of uh, disease. Uh, I think the way we go through the cycles of transformation are going to be much easier, right? Well, still we'll have to go through it, right? But it's going to be easier. It's going to be together. It's going to be softer, kinder, love, more loving, right? Mm. So that's, uh, yeah, I'd like to finish with that because that's really my prayer you know, that we, we allow each other's uh, own cycles and we we embrace them and we uh, give permission to ourselves and to each other's to go through them. I have one last question for you. If you were to pass tomorrow or uh, I don't know when, but how would you like to... Uh, what would you like to do to your body? How would you like to go? Uh, if I, I were to die tomorrow? Yes. How would you like to go? Would you like to become a tree? Uh, how oh, you... do I want to be buried, you mean, or things like that? Yeah. How would you like us to celebrate your life and bury you? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd like to be buried in the ground, in the soil, 
I want to return to the earth and feed the, the little worms and the mushrooms and the, the yeah. trees. <laughs> and however, I would hope people have a good party remembering me, oh. you know, have a lot of joy and maybe they'll have tears too, you know, mm. but I hope people uh, will remember some of the good time we had and, and uh, yeah, be inspired to live, uh, to live every day because it's precious, right? <laughs> Any specific tree that you like to be returned to? Oak tree. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> your last wishes. This was amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, Angel. Thank I you, sister. Thank you, everyone that was listening. Uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to be with you. And thank you, everyone that supported the conversation tonight. And much, much love to you all. Thank you so much. Much love. And I'll be saving this live so we can go back to it at those moments that we need. Thank you. Good night, brother. See you soon. Bye. Good night. Bye. You've been listening to The Sanctuary Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, we're a source of talks about spirituality, personal transformation, energy healing, shamanism, and earth-based practices. For more, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. On the website, you can find out about our events, our retreats, healing offering, our spiritual blog, and you can also register for the newsletter. Again, visit thesanctuaryheal.com. Till next time, this is The Sanctuary Podcast, and Angel Deer signing off.